Well, this morning our parable, it takes us to Luke 14, and there you see the words uh, of, the, of the text printed for you on page 8, and the sermon outline stretching over to page 10. This is one of the banquet uh, or feast parables. There are about four of them that I can recall, maybe more than that. Jesus' parables cluster around certain topics. Sometimes they're agricultural, seed and wheat and tares, as we plan to look at next week, the fig tree. Other times it has to do, as Kevin said last week, about money and uh, stewardship and what to do with time and talent and gift. This is one of two parables in the book of Luke, back-to-back, having to do with eating, having to do with uh, preparation uh, for, the, for a meal. And so we look at the second one of those, beginning in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, when you ordered, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is God's word. Let us bow together. Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer this morning, we can well imagine a table set with the finest of food, everything that we like, abundance, beauty, great smells, and a hearty appetite. We love to eat, especially when the food is excellent and the company is fine. We ask, Lord, that this day, as we come to your word, we might come with anticipation, not only of hearing it today, but of hearing it forevermore. For we are told in the scriptures that there'll not just be one banquet, but there'll be one grand banquet in the future, perhaps stretching through ever, forever, throughout all ages in which the finest of food and the best of fellowship will be enjoyed because the Lamb of God will be there. 
Lord Jesus, guide us, we pray, as we look to you. In, in Christ's name, amen. So, of course, the context is, if you look in the first few verses, they're having a dinner at a Pharisee's house on a Sabbath day, a, a Saturday. This is the second parable. And it sounds a lot like another one in another gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, having to do with a great banquet and a wedding garment and coming and that sort of thing. But that isn't this one. There are significant differences. It begins with a statement from Jesus and then a parable. And it's a little bit surprising the way he puts these two things together, I think. Jesus says to his host, now they've been eating for a while. They've been at the Pharisee's house for a while. He's just told them another parable in the first 11 verses. He says, now when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. For if you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Cast a wider vision for such a dinner. Don't just bring your friends in. Don't just do what's easy and comfortable and seems uh, best to us, but also remember that there are people outside who have not been invited in. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection and the kingdom of God. Here, another glancing reference to the resurrection of Christ that's coming. But then one of those who were at the table with him heard this and began to ask. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This doesn't seem to have been a challenge or an objection of any kind. Sometimes the parables are a response to a challenge or a question from someone in the audience. In this case, it seems as though he was saying, Amen. I'd like to eat there. I'd like to be at that table. Anyone, anyone who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God will be blessed. Whether they are rich or poor or lame or blind or whether they are friends, anyone. Amen. Then Jesus tells a parable. A parable that operates on two levels. On the one level, it's one of the brilliance of one of the most brilliant aspects of this is the fact that he's answering a couple of questions that, that are not even being asked. One of them has to do with the unfolding of the progress of the gospel. When he describes these different groups of people who are invited and then some reject and then more are invited and still there is room and then all are brought in and compelled to come in, he is describing the progress of the kingdom of God as it will occur from Jew to Gentile in the days to come. He's giving us, at that level, an historical plan, an insight, a revelation as to how history will unfold. First, there will be the Jews like we are today at the Sabbath meal in a, in, a, in a Pharisee's house, but then more will be brought in, and then more will be brought in until my house is full. And many who reject me now, who are Jews, will not eat at that table. They may think they're qualified, but they are not. There's a different qualification. So as I say, the context and then the meaning on two levels, it's the description of the advance of the kingdom of God through history, but it also then becomes a personal challenge to those who are invited, or to us who imagine ourselves invited to such a grand banquet 
or feast, what it is like to be part of the kingdom of God. And here again, of course, we have it described as a banquet, but it is a different kind of a banquet. It is a banquet with invitations going out to the poor. Not just those who are qualified to come in or who know the host or who are well-connected, but people who don't know whatsoever that the banquet was even going to take place are going to be brought into it. They were not originally invited. You'll remember that Jesus' first miracle was at the wedding in Cana in Galilee when he turned the water into wine. He took a great party, good party, and made it into a great party. He is offering in his kingdom a sign that there will be a tremendous rejoicing and and celebration aspect to his kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom, it is a party, it's a banquet, it's a feast, and blessed are those who eat at the feast. But it is open to the humble. What does humility look like? It seems, though, the point of this parable is not those who are invited, but those who will come. Lots of people are invited, but only some will come. And they come not because they're well-connected to the host, not because in some cases they even knew that the party was going to take place originally. They come because they humble themselves and receive an invitation and respond. This is similar to what he said when he told the parable of the soils and said that the key skill in the kingdom of God is to be able to listen Can you hear me? Will you listen to my word and spirit, or will you not? If you will listen to my word and spirit, then you will come in. And if you listen to my word and spirit, you will flourish. But if you stop listening, you will have trouble. This is about not listening so much as humbling oneself to accept an invitation. But what does humility mean? I want to emphasize two things this morning. Humility looks like accommodation and submission. And we'll describe that here as we go through. First of all, accommodation to the slowness of the kingdom. Those who study the culture of the day tell us that to not respond to the second summons was a serious breach of etiquette. It was an insult equivalent among the Arab tribes of that day to a declaration of war. It was to make excuses. If you made excuses now, you were breaking your promise of attendance. It was kind of like breaking off an engagement. It was kind of like taking almost that seriously. If you accept my invitation to come to my great feast, then you're telling me that you'll be there. Now, It's not always clear when it was going to be. It may have been of indeterminate time. But you said, all right, I will come. I will commit myself to be a part of that feast. So first you get the invitation, but it is not served until later. You notice in verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a a great banquet and invited many guests. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, sometime later... He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. This is different than when you get a wedding save-the-date now. 
Uh, save the date that we send out for modern weddings is sort of like, we're planning a big event, and here's the time and place. We hope you can come and you'll arrange your calendar and that you can make it. But it usually is, the RSVP comes later. The commitment to attend comes later. In this instance, it seems, culturally speaking, that when they accepted the invitation, they tacitly or explicitly said, I'll be there. I commit myself to you. This is not how our culture works. Our culture works like this. All right, I'll come unless I get a better offer. Right? Unless something happens in my family, unless something happens to my calendar, otherwise I'll be there if nothing happens. But that's not the way this culture accepted its invitations. If you said you were coming to a banquet, you were obligating yourself to show up. Now, this may have had practical reasons having to do with getting the food ready and all the rest of it, laying up enough food, but it was, uh, it, you gave your word. And so now when the word goes out, distractions. So the first accommodation to the kingdom of God that we must make when we humbly come to his table is to the slowness of it. Even in that day, people wanted things to happen more rapidly than they generally do. The kingdom of God comes into your life, as I say now, but it won't completely heal or restore you until the banquet at the last day, on the judgment day. And the problem we have is in accommodating ourselves to the slowness of the way things develop. We perceive God to be often tardy, slow, We feel like we've got to push him along in prayer or in some way. We've got to compel him to hurry up because we're running out of patience. This goes from great things like the return of Christ down to the practical things of when am I ever going to, when am I ever going to get an answer to my prayer? It's just a simple prayer. The humble man, the humble woman says, your timing is right. Your day of fulfillment is what we look for. So the challenge is for us to humble ourselves under his schedule for the power and the healing to come in, to be, to be patient. Under application, have you humbled yourself under the slowness of the kingdom of God? Or are you like a little child, upset about the fact that God's not doing things in your life in the way and at the rate it ought to happen? Guilty. Guilty, both hands. Of course, we struggle with this. We have to learn to humble ourselves onto his time schedule. Have you used the fact that the banquet has not yet started to be distracted by other things, like these people did? Probably the date wasn't clearly set, but they had some idea of when it was. And they should have been listening for the call to the dinner. Instead, as the time passed... They became taken up in other things. God does seem to be slow sometimes. Agonizingly, excruciatingly slow in fulfilling our prayers. We have certain expectations, you know. We don't expect our children to graduate from high school in the sixth grade. 
But when they get to the 12th grade, we, our anticipation rises. And so it is with other things. We, we expect that this should take about so long. And when it takes longer than that, we are, I am, unhappy, aggravated. Why can't this happen? What is the reason that we have to wait so long? That's not humility. That's vexation and self-centeredness. Secondly, these were called to accommodation to the priority of the kingdom. And this is the, really the meat of the parable that most people turn to. At least at first, those who did not come said they would, or they would not have been told that all was now ready. I mean, if they had turned it down and said, look, I'm sure I can't make it. I'm going to get married. I'm going to buy a field, and I'm going to buy oxen. I'm sure in the next, I, I just can't commit to it. Then they would not have been asked a second time. They would not have been invited a second time. But implicit in this is that they said, yes, I'll be there. And with all the cultural weight of that to say, I'm making a solemn promise. The kind of promise that Joseph made to Mary. And he was willing to keep even though a lot seems to have changed in their relationship. Joseph was one of those who would have come to the banquet even if he did get married or if he did buy a field or if he did buy a yoke of oxen. That's what his testimony gives us. But now we've got these three excuses, and I do say they are flimsy and insufficient. These are major events in a person's life perhaps, but... Flimsy and insufficient, most commentators would say. This man bought a field. He wants to go look at it. That's not the normal way to do things. If you're going to buy a field, you look at it first. Had he not seen it already? Now, it's uh, uh, understandable that he would be very interested in that field because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said. And no doubt the field cost him something, and he was interested in making it ready for agricultural use or selling it to someone else or having it surveyed. Who knows what he was interested in, but he surely had time to do that beforehand. So this isn't very strong reason. The man who bought five yoke of oxen, had he not tried them out before he bought them? How wise is that? They could easily be put to work the next day anyway. I mean, a banquet doesn't come along every day. Neither do five yoke of oxen, but, but the oxen can wait. All the cultural weight and, and, and integrity of the person who said I would come is now a test, and he says, I'm not going to do it. And then there was one who was married. Could he not have arranged his calendar better? so that this wouldn't have happened. Why didn't they follow through? Because, this is my suggestion here, that they thought they could be part of the banquet without disturbing their agendas, normal lives, and goals. I'm having a great feast. I want you to come. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to bring anything. You just come. You just come. But the problem isn't the freeness of the banquet although we'll get to that in a moment. The problem is their agendas, their normal lives, and their goals. When Jesus says he must come first, what do you do? How much have you given authority to the, to, uh, in your life to this, to this king? 
regarding your agenda. This is, uh, with me and with my, my, many of us, this is, a, this is a big, big part of our problem. We have an idea, not only of the timing of things, but what should happen. And if something comes along that changes our agenda, or that upsets it or delays it, we're not happy. But only those who are somewhat detached from earthly things and can treat them as of small importance in comparison with the kingdom of God will enter. This is a priority. The humble says, you first, to the Lord, to the master, to the owner of the banquet hall. The, the humble and the one who accommodates himself says, yeah, I had, I had an idea, but you got a better one. Yes, I'm involved in my business and my family, but that comes second. You're first. And if you want it, you got it. That's what Jesus wants to hear. And this is indeed what he was struggling with, wasn't it, in Gethsemane? He answered the call. He came to the earth. He walked this way and perfectly kept his father's law and his law too. But now with many distractions, he comes to the garden. And he must answer the question, will I come to the feast of my own death? Will I, will I come to the banquet of redemption or won't I? I've got plenty of other things I could do. I could call down a legion of angels and they would come and, and, and do my bidding. I could uh, do this another, maybe less painful way. But I'm going to answer the call. And the nobility of our Savior in those moments is astonishing. Did he have a better offer? Yes. He wouldn't have come in the first place. And he certainly wouldn't have followed through against the roguish and rascally oppositions that he faced. But he answered the call, and he went to the feast. He humbled himself, Paul writes, to death, even death on the cross. That was his priority, and he stuck to it. So this humility is accommodation to the slowness of the kingdom, which drives us crazy, because seems like God is so slow. And doesn't it seem that way to you? It seems like it's so slow. February seems like it has 90 days in it. <laughs> Every year, it's supposed to be the shortest month of the year. It doesn't seem like that. When are we going to get out of this? When are we going to be relieved from the snow and the ice and the problems and the, the struggle and the fight of work and weather? And... Humble yourself before him and his schedule. Okay. Accommodation to the priority of the kingdom. He's got to be first, even if I get what I think is a better offer. And then thirdly, accommodation to the freeness of the kingdom. I mentioned this earlier. I want to come back to it. Let's not pass over the fact too quickly that this meal is free. This banquet requires that you not bring a side dish or some dessert or anything to drink. You don't have to purchase a ticket. You don't have to uh, in any way earn your access. There's really nothing to do but come when you're called. 
Some will think that they are too guilty or too bad to be invited. That doesn't seem to be the problem in this parable, but we know that that's how the human heart works sometimes. And in those cases, sometimes pride stops them because they too want to earn access and they feel like, well, I haven't done anything right, so I don't deserve to be there. And it's always about me. Poor me. When he says, come, it's free, it's delicious, it's, it's, a, it's bountiful, just come and eat and enjoy what I have for you. So we must humble ourselves by letting go of our guilt and our anger and just come to him. Others, of course, think they're not guilty and they don't need the banquet. They are preoccupied with themselves. I've got a big agenda. I've got a nice full life. I can pass this one up. I can skip it. I got a better offer. Not really. Nothing is better than the banquet of the kingdom of God. So the closer we are by education and by vocation and by economics and by class to the nexus of social power and influence in our society, the more you and I are going to tend to have a prejudice against the gospel. We don't need it. The teaching of this passage and also the teaching of history is that the kingdom power of God tends to flow towards the needy, towards the poor, towards the sick, the oppressed, and the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for just this reason. Will you humble yourself and come and eat at my table, or will you tell me you're too busy or too unworthy to come? Have you humbled yourself under the freeness of the kingdom of God by being willing to see the sheer charity and grace of it, and that you cannot qualify yourself, and that it is pride that is making it impossible for you to say, I give myself to you. This is a chilling and challenging parable. Especially when it says those who were invited will not get in. And that the poor and the lame and the blind and the sick will come. And we will allow to be in. The, the humble will, will be sitting at the table. They can't purchase it. They can't qualify in any way except the gospel comes to them. So this is instructive. Not only regarding our own priorities, but also about who God cares about. The poor the lame and the blind. It is the, it is the message of history that the gospel is most receptive even today in Africa and Asia where poverty is the first thing you notice. That's where the church is growing. And in places where prosperity is the first thing you notice, the church is not so strong. It's weaker. It's not as, as, as flourishing. Therefore, we humble ourselves before him. And we say, this kingdom is bigger than me. And I'm going to go through life seeking to follow his schedule, not mine. Seeking to follow him first and not these other things that so easily distract me. Seeking to follow the freeness of the kingdom so that it can be expressed to the lost. This is a rich parable. It operates on many levels. There's a personal challenge here as well as a prediction of how the world's history will go. And indeed it has. The gospel has flown across to the Gentiles, across the oceans, across the mountain ranges, across the world to those who are the weak and the weakest. Just a few decades ago, the Eastern Europe and the communist countries 
were flourishing, although their economies were and their governments were horrible. They were flourishing. The gospel reached into their lives. So let us always have a prejudice that the scriptures seem to have toward those who can't keep up. And let us question our own agendas when they are too full to respond by faith. Let us pray. Oh Lord, and what a great banquet it will be. Help us to see the glory of that future day and how wonderful your kingdom will be manifest to us. Help us to keep that in view in the meantime. Every time we sit down to eat and enjoy the good food of this world, help us to see it as a foretaste of of a coming banquet and a coming kingdom. Just a little crumb compared to what lies ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were faithful to your priority. And we apologize for so often turning our heads and our hearts away from what we said we would do. We're always looking for a better offer. And when we find it, we forsake our Savior even, and we are ashamed. Guide us this day, we pray now, that we might serve you to your glory and kingdom. Amen.